This is Listen Lakeland, the show that keeps you up to date on all the things that make our city a great place to live, work, and play. Today's host is the executive director of Lakeland Now, a community-supported local news organization dedicated to cultivating civic engagement in Lakeland through freely accessible, locally-driven news. She's a graduate of George Washington University and serves on the boards of Lakeland Vision and Friends of Colt Creek State Park. Please welcome your host, Trinity Lorino. Welcome to the good life. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm Trinity Lorino, and it's great to be hosting this month's episode of Listen Lakeland. This show is an extension of Lakeland Vision. For over two decades, Lakeland Vision has been a voice for the citizens of Lakeland, working with community stakeholders to create a bright future for our city. So today on Listen Lakeland, I have two guests with me. I have Kim Doherty, CEO of Heartland for Children, as well as the new editor of Lakeland Lakeland now, Cindy Glover, but she's actually here not in her professional capacity, but in her parental capacity. Today, we are going to talk about something that is an area of focus for uh, Lakeland Vision. Uh, one of the things we focus on at Lakeland Vision is building strong and safe neighborhoods. And I want to talk today to two people who are really involved in that work in ensuring the safety and security of some of the most vulnerable members of our community. So we are here again talking with Kim Doherty uh, of Heartland for Children, and we're really talking about foster care today and the need for foster care providers in our community. And uh, Cindy, our new editor at Lakeland Now, she is also a foster parent herself, so she can bring in a little bit of like the lived experience for us. But uh, Kim, let's get started with you. I always like to find out a little bit about how someone like came into the work that they're doing now. So you have been with Heartland for, Ch- for Children since 2003, correct? Yeah. Yes, that's correct. <clears throat> and uh, I've had the honor of, of being um, in multiple roles there in, on the executive team over the years. Um, but most recently was um, promoted and received the honor of um, being named the new CEO. Um, Lakeland is my hometown. I was born here, grew up here, and uh, went away to college and went to Florida State University. And then after being at Florida State, uh, went to Texas, and I had the opportunity to work as a child life therapist at Texas Children's Hospital, which is one of the largest children's hospitals in the United States, um, where I really got a foundation of working with children that had been um abused or neglected, children with chronic illness, um, worked in transplant units there, and uh, left there after a number of years and transferred over to Birmingham, Alabama and and ran early childhood programs. Uh, My husband got a transfer and I came back to Florida and worked at All Children's Hospital, which is now John Hopkins, and worked on the uh, hematology oncology unit with children that had uh, been diagnosed with cancer um, and also worked in the emergency room with children that had been abused or neglected. So I've had an incredible journey um, in my early career. Um, I was watching in Florida early early 2000 and saw that the state of Florida was going to be privatizing child welfare services and uh, really got interested in that because I know the power of um, support in communities and that this work is bigger than government and I was so excited that child welfare services were going to be privatized 
and got in on the front end. So I was one of the first five employees at Heartland and have been there to watch us grow an incredible nonprofit organization in this community. And we serve Pocardine and Highlands counties. Um, currently, um, we have over 2,100 children we're serving, um, and we have an incredible foster home network of caregivers, um, group home providers, to help ensure safety and security and well-being for these children. So uh, there's so much that we need to continue to do. Mm -hmm. We've had great uh, success in our um, services and growing supports and options to try to keep children at home under the prevention end. Um, but there's times where these children need to be removed uh, for safety reasons while the parents work and, and get healthy so that they can have their children come back home. But we need another option when that happens, and that's why a, a strong, secure foster home network with quality foster parents is so important. Mm -hmm. And we've seen an increase, right, in the, in the need over the last few years. What's been driving that increase? Is it the rapid growth? Has it been a result of COVID? Yes, great question. Um, we, you know have monitored our foster home network and we had gotten it up to 250 homes for part for Pocardian Highlands. And currently right now we're around 200. So we've had a reduction okay. and that happens for a variety of reasons. And we look at all of our home closures. There are some foster parents that have, have adopted because it ends up being the right um, fit and the right decision there. We have some foster parents who have had to close because they've had to move additional family members into their homes mm -hmm. due to economy, due to, um, you know, there's been some impact from COVID. Um, so we're, we really need to, as a circuit here, really look at how can we continue to build this. And the time is now. I mean, we've got classes running nonstop. Um, and we are an organization that wants to support our foster parents. We want to walk alongside them and make sure they're prepared. But the needs of our kids have also increased. Um, you know, they... Um, come from hard places, mm -hmm. and so we're seeing an increase in the needs and the mental health services for them um, based on the trauma that they've experienced. So in December, I know, like now we did an article on the, the current need and a drive to find at least 25 more foster mm -hmm. families here in Lakeland. Um, how, is that, how has that gone? Have you met the need? You know, what is the need right now currently? Sure. Um, you know, our, I would say our need is about 50 more homes. Uh, 50 more um, yes. Homes. And so as you, you know, it's, it is a... Is that Lake, sorry, uh, just, is that just trying to get the geography? Sure. Is that Lakeland specific or is that across Polk, Cardi, and Highlands? I would say across Polk, Cardi, and okay. Highlands. Um, you know, we'll take them wherever the, wherever <laughs> the community and wherever our neighborhoods um, that, that they have an interest. And we do see clusters of families, you know, it may be mm -hmm. one family's fostering somewhere and they tell their neighbors on the street and they become interested or they have... Um, you know, different relationships in their faith community here in Lakeland, and then they really um, look at that as something they want to educate others about and bring in, and then they develop a beautiful support network. Um, you know, it just, you know, our kids have, they're so unique, and so when they come into licensed care and need a foster home, we want to look at what those needs are. We want to do the very best match that we can um, so that um, whether it's we can keep them in their same school, we can keep them if they're a large sibling group, and we absolutely have large sibling groups. We have a foster parent right now who's got eight children she's fostering, wow. um, doing an amazing job, um, and we want to try to keep them together. Mm -hmm. um, so if we have a couple of homes in the same neighborhood and we have a large sibling group and we need to 
separate them, how great it is when we can keep them right there together. So, mm-hmm. Well, let's talk a little bit. I mean, for our listeners out there, maybe there's somebody out there who's thought about, you know, fostering a child in the past and just hasn't really known where to start or maybe has been a little scared off of some of the, like the myths around foster care. Um, why don't we talk about a little bit of like some of the biggest myths around foster care? I mean, first of all, who can become a foster parent? That is the question we get every day. And so um, we are open to, it doesn't matter what age, um, doesn't matter, you don't have to be married, you can be single, um, you can have all kinds of lived experience to come forward. The most important thing is you want to really um, invest in a relationship and a connection with a child um, and, and try to understand, of course, the trauma and understand that, you know, some of the behaviors that might be just, you know, exhibited um, when they're placed in your home um, are reaction to some of their previous environments and experiences. And so we try to train. Um, we have a dif- different types of trainings that we offer our caregivers so they can really understand the impact on the brain that trauma has and why these children exhibit these behaviors. Um, you know, they're not bad. It's the behaviors that are really starting to come out. Mm-hmm. One thing that we do see is once they're in a home and they start feeling sick, safe and they get connected and they get in relationship, that brain starts calming down and they really start sharing and talking and opening up. Um, and there's some really growth opportunities that happen there. So that's why home environment is so important. And many of them will tell us that's all I want is to be in a home. Mm-hmm. I want to have my own bed. I want to have my own pillow. I want to have my own closet and have clothes mm-hmm. that, um, you know, and I can feel somewhat normal here when I'm going to school. And so it's it's a team. It's a village, right? It yeah. really is a village. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, that kind of, you know, wanting to have a home and a mm-hmm. place to feel safe. I mean, that's ultimately what we all want from right. life, right? Um, but you mentioned some of the support systems, and I think that's another kind of myth that happens around foster care that, you know, you're going to be taking in a child that has, you know, um, certain needs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, uh, there may be fears around ad- adequately meeting those needs. Mm-hmm. And I, I know we were talking earlier before the show about how much it has evolved involved in some of the new services that are out there. Do you want to tell us, tell the listeners out there a little bit more about how it's evolved over the last few years? Right. There are different types of foster homes. We have traditional foster homes. We have medical foster homes with therapeutic foster homes. And one great new enhancement we have is we are able to now do what's called an enhanced foster home where we do additional training, um, which is called TBRI, or Trust-Based Relational Intervention Training. It's a 12-hour training, and if foster um, parents do receive that, they can get qualified to become an enhanced home. Um, If they then take in a child, which is a sibling group, or a sibling group, a teenager, or a child with special needs, we can then offer some enhanced, what we call an enhanced rate which allows us to, um, maybe it's that a child may need some additional support services or mm-hmm. um, involvement. Let's say they love horses and need some therapeutic horseback riding, or we are able to do some enhanced rates and pay to the caregiver to help us with that, to meet those unique needs of that, that population. So we're really trying to build a base of those enhanced homes. Out of the 200 homes right now, we have over 30 of those homes that have met that qualification of an enhanced home. Um, and that's just another alternative that the Florida Florida has given us. And we really, and in this community, want to make sure all of our foster caregivers coming forward, foster parents, that they understand we have um, an option for them based mm-hmm. upon the type of child or children they want to serve. Mm-hmm. 
So Cindy, I kind of want to hear from you. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about your family right now and your experience as a foster parent. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, I think that a lot of times when people hear that I'm a foster parent, um, they'll say, oh my gosh, I could never do that. I would get too attached. I wouldn't want to give them back. Or I would love to, but I'm you know single mm-hmm. and I work long hours. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of things that people say and... Um, I would say that, first of all, you don't have to be a saint or perfect, you know, occasionally. Well, I, I'm not really a yeller, but I do get frazzled or lose my temper. Not much, but I'm role modeling for the kids, you know, how you muddle through. Um, you don't have to be independently wealthy to foster mm-hmm. because the state and your licensing agency or the placement agency do provide a room and board stipend. Um you can be single, you can be LGBTQ. Um, there are all kinds of families. You just have to have, you know, no criminal record and a heart for children and a willingness to do the classes. And it does make you a better parent. I, I can tell you that. Um, you know, sometimes people have said, well, what about your biological children? Because that was actually going to be my mm-hmm. next question, honestly. I hatched. Two kids, mm-hmm. and then I have acquired five more through, not all at the same time, <laughs> but through fostering. And um, being a parent before I was a foster parent definitely helped because, um, you know, your first kid trains you. <laughs> you learn mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. much. Um, and uh, But it's also not necessary. Um, but I did, when our family grew, um my daughter and some of you know the kids who came into our home became really close. Mm-hmm. They are not biological siblings, but she absolutely talks about you know her brother. And there were times when the kids could talk to each other and not to me. And it was um, really, I think, a net positive experience. You know, I'm always worried about well, what about my biological daughter, and she's now a junior in college, um, and my biological son has special needs, but I think that um, it's the same dynamic as when parents who have one child decide to have a second. It, it, it does not take away as much as it, you know, it makes a bigger family, and bigger families can be really beautiful. Um, and certainly the strategies, the parenting classes, um, all of the things that you go through in order to become licensed as a foster parent Mm -hmm. make you not only a better parent, but you learn a few things that can help you in your own life, too. They make you a better person. Um, And you meet some really cool people on this journey. But um, I right now have 12 and 13-year-old foster daughters. They were placed with me on December 2nd, so we're still kind of early in the stage. Um, Unlike my previous experiences, there is still a mom in the picture. The goal is reunification. She has Mm -hmm. a case plan. I really view it as fostering a whole family. Mm -hmm. I am rooting for their mom. Mm -hmm. People fall down. Mm -hmm. And... I'm rooting for her to do the things that would make her able to get her kids back. And if that happens, that would be such a beautiful success story Mm -hmm. 
And um, it really does take more than one person to raise kids, especially now. And I know so many people I've met through this journey who are still in touch with their kids, their cell phones and FaceTime. You can't, it's not like you're never going to see them again if you are one of those supportive people in their lives. So that that fear that it's going to break my heart that I give you know that I have to give this child up once the time with me that isn't that's not really the lived experience of it because you can be you become so invested in the well-being of not just this child but of their caregiver that kind of replaces any fear that you might have had around that. That's what I'm hearing at least from you. For me absolutely. I mean, one of two things will happen. Either their mom is going to do a lot of really hard work because she loves them and she's, you know, it is not easy and she is going to earn back the right to, to raise them. And that's fantastic. And um, that's what the, the girls want. Mm-hmm. If for any reason their mom can't, because sometimes parents love their kids, but they just can't quite overcome the addiction, the, the, all of the different things. If she can't, then they need to know that they're safe, that they have a place to be, that their mom still loves them. She just can't take care of them, mm-hmm. but it's okay because yeah. there are other people who also love them who can help. Yeah. So I'm, I'm curious, Kim, too, and you, you are focused on the child and getting the, the, the child placed. Do you interact um, with other organizations that are helping the parent, uh, the biological parent, kind of, you know, get to the place where they can be unified with their child? What resources are out there for, for those people who find themselves in that position? Yes. So Heartland for Children, we're the lead community-based care agency. So we receive the dollars from the state, from the Department of Children and Families. Um, Those dollars come here and we contract out with three large case management organizations. Those case management organizations are handling the dependency case. Um, um, They are responsible for the the uh, services piece um, and and moving the case forward, right? Um, and so not only do we have those large contracts, we have many other contracts with service providers that are directly serving the families and the children within the Tri-County area. Those are in-home services. Those are reunification services um, where they're in working, um, you know, trying to make sure that the mental health services are in place, uh, ensuring that... If there's navigation with housing, that are and that's a barrier for a family, you know, mm-hmm. because if they don't have housing, it makes it hard for us to reunify the children safely. Um, so it it really does the whole family unit. We're watching that and making sure that the services are moving um, and that the case is moving. Yeah, is that uh, is that one of the driving factors that we're seeing in this increase in the need? Is it the shortage of housing that we're also facing? I will tell you that we we do have a number of families out there to find affordable housing that they have they have children in our dependency system and housing is a barrier. Wow. Um, and so we work that we you know try to assist and work with all the other housing partners in our community. Um, that's one thing, as well as ensuring that there's uh, fits with finding a job, working with the different career programs, job training programs our parents may need. Um, because as you know, with the hierarchy of needs, right, mm-hmm. you know, we have to have a foundation 
and uh, for the families do to make sure the children are going to be safe. Because safety is where we, it, when they're not safe, is when we, and when I say we, the Department of Children and Families, dependency cases, that's when um, the cases get involved. Mm-hmm. And we were also talking a little bit before the show about how the labor shortage is mm-hmm. affecting this as well. So we, you know, we have we have greater need, more children mm-hmm. who need beds, who need a stable mm-hmm. place to call home. What happens to those children, um, you know, that that you haven't been able to place yet? So. I- the labor shortage has absolutely impacted the child welfare system, and I'll tell you a couple of reasons. Um, we have um, group home providers. These are these are not our traditional foster homes and neighborhoods that you would think where it's you know a family unit, but these are more group homes where there's maybe shift staffed or staff that are staffing the programs. Um, they are constantly recruiting in our community um, so they can meet the bed licensed bed capacity. Mm-hmm. Um, that means that they can we can keep local kids here, but they have enough staff to staff the program. Um, that's one thing. Our case management organizations, we actually saw some of them experienced a 50% turnover in their workforce. Wow. Um, and so we were so thankful that there was legislation that passed um, for some additional funding that came down for um, statewide for case managers and so Mm -hmm. we could bring those salaries up to a level Uh, we're seeing some stabilization there Mm -hmm. um but i would tell you being a caseworker being on call 24 7 and and what uh what sometimes what they're dealing with out there in the community is very tough so um we need to really hold up our caseworkers and appreciate Mm -hmm. them uh just like we need to with our caregivers um and our foster parents um we also have a in our circuit and this is a beautiful thing too uh, some folks don't really um, so it's important for the listeners to, to understand about our relatives and our non-relatives. We have so many grandparents and non-relatives that are caring for children. So when they don't come into licensed care, we always want to first try to find a relative or non-relative as mm-hmm. the first option. And by non-relative, that can be a family friend. It can be a teacher. Yes. It's somebody who the child has a pre-existing relationship yeah. with but who's not related by blood. And you mm-hmm. came in initially as a teacher, correct? Like um, I wasn't, uh, sort of, but okay. yes, um, a student, I had left teaching, but I, a teacher friend mm-hmm. had a student who was homeless and going to drop out yeah. because they were in a motel, and mm-hmm. um, I was able to bring her in unofficially, and then it became official. But. I feel like that's not entirely uncommon. I've known several teachers that have ended up as foster parents and then also even adoptive parents, um, mm-hmm. ultimately, for a, a current or, or former student mm-hmm. in providing that care. Yes, and, and so in terms of recruitment, mm-hmm. yes, teachers are amazing foster parents and our first responders as well. Um, you know, we really try to reach out to first responders and their families um, to see if they have an interest in fostering. So, mm-hmm. you know, we have a website, which is heartlandfordchildren.org. Uh, there's so much information on our website um, for any listeners that may want to reach out, read about it. And there's actually, it kind of takes you on a little journey with questions and myths and facts about fostering. And then we have an intake number, which is 863-519-8900, extension 289. That's our main number. Again, 863-519-8900, extension 289. Um, We track all of our inquiries. We actually will send out a training link to get you started. Mm -hmm. We really don't want our families that are interested waiting. We um, have historically moved very quickly on the licensing side of this with our team at Heartland for Children that license homes. 
Um, customer service is very important to us, um, and as being the CEO there at Heartland, um, I really do want to make sure we're, we're offering good um, service and to our caregivers. Well, it sounds like there are several opportunities here, you know. Um, so the reason, partly I was mentioning the labor shortage is that does impact, you know, how many beds you can actually fill. If, if there is not the, requ- you were saying earlier, if there's not the required staff mm-hmm. at those group homes, even if they have space for 12 children, they can only take six sometimes. So if there's somebody, if there's a listener out there who is looking for a career change, maybe they want to do work that is soul fulfilling, you know, mm-hmm. um, it's, you know, as you said, it, it's, it's difficult work, but it can be really, truly rewarding work. Was, would they come to Heartland for Children as well to the website or that, that the same number? I mean, they can contact us at Heartland for Children and we'll point them in the direction um, of the different agencies that are out there um, mm-hmm. and we can let them know. But um, yes, there is always jobs available and um, we're working with the local colleges and universities we have internship opportunities available um, there's uh, family support workers so it's um, you know someone that wants to come in and help with transporting um, mm-hmm. and just uh, group homes come in and, and be a group home shift staff um, if you're going to college those are great jobs I so just I want to give a shout out to case managers mm-hmm we, um, it, it is such a game changer for people who are afraid of fostering because maybe a child is going to have a lot of needs. Our case manager has taken you know my daughters to doctor's appointments, so I didn't have to miss work. Um, she has taken them to you know, visits with mom. Um, she uh, ordered a punching like a boxing bag for us for mm-hmm. our backyard because mm-hmm. you know the girls have some anger issues. Mm-hmm. Um, we adore our case manager. Um, we have benefited from transporters mm-hmm. who sometimes you know, took a, the girls to school. Um, we have also benefited from the guardian ad litem system, and um, that's another job that people can do. Yeah. But the, um, the village that supports these kids, there are a lot of ways to be villagers. You mm-hmm. can be a, a foster parent or caregiver. You can be a caseworker, but... We, um, particularly since the salary was increased, have had much more stability. And oh, that's wonderful. We love our case mm-hmm. manager, um, and I'm so glad that that she you know, is being treated well. Mm-hmm. But um, it, there is a lot of support. You don't do it by yourself. She arranged therapists who come to the house, um, it, doctors' appointments. The kids have. Um, Medicaid. So there really isn't the investment for a foster parent is time and love and patience, but there isn't a financial, you know, burden of providing all of this. And also, is time and love and patience. Mm -hmm. So if you have that, (laughs) then you may want to look at being a foster parent. Um, That's that's yeah, that's a really lovely sentiment. And those classes, um, the first step for a lot of people is to do a training class. And back when I got certified for the first time, it was all in person. But now there are virtual, you know, one of the COVID perks (laughs) that has lasted. um, There are both virtual and hybrid trainings. And um, for, for people who are dabbling on the fence, curious, starting off by doing these which are free and happen in the evenings and on Saturdays, 
I, I see them on the website a lot, so that, that would be the place to go. Right. The classes are listed on our social media page, too. So anytime we have an upcoming class, it's a great way so to um, go to the Facebook page, Heartland for Children. Uh, we're also on Instagram, and you know we're always posting when those classes are coming. And there's so much information we put out there about parenting, activities that are going on in the three-county area, and right here in Lakeland um, that we have um, that are focused on healthy parenting and sibling visits and all of those things. So wonderful. No. So in the last minute that we have, um, so we've talked about the, the, the major need is of course for foster parents and, you know, but there are other opportunities if you're looking for that career change. Now, if you can't do either of those things, are there other ways to volunteer or support the work of taking care of these vulnerable children? Yes. Um, we have a a number of signature events each year. Um, we have one that's coming up, which is Pinwheels in the Park, right here in Lakeland at Joker Merchant Stadium. That's, that's so fun. yes, and all that information is being pushed out on our social media, and that will be happening here in April. So it's an evening at the ballpark, and uh, we'll make that really fun. And um, there'll be folks there to talk about um, fostering, and then we have a table set up so we can get information about the upcoming classes. Um, the other way you can, um, we have. Um, you know, constantly a need for donations. Um, and we have um, other groups that contact us and do drives. Maybe it's a diaper drive or uh, uh, hygiene products for our teenagers, um, backpack drives, those types of things. So if you're, you know, a group and you want to do that, we also have volunteer experiences, internship experiences. Um, so we are open. We really want the community to feel part of our Heartland for Children family. Wonderful. Just want to thank both of our guests today, Kim. Dortree from Heartland for Children and Cindy Glover, our new editor at Lakeland Now, but also foster parent. And I want to thank you for tuning in today to Listen Lakeland. Your feedback is valued and we encourage you to head over to www.lakelandvision.org to participate in our monthly survey related to today's show topic. Listen Lakeland is brought to you as a collaborative project between Lakeland Vision, the City of Lakeland, and Hall Communications, a community working together to provide an exceptional quality of life. Thank you for being with us.